Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is, a higher federal minimum wage is unnecessary and harmful. We are coming to you today, as usual, from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With these IPI Policy Basics podcasts, we are building an audio library on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and who want to understand how to think about policy or who need to get up to speed on a particular issue. And so today we're going to talk through minimum wage policy, and I'm joined today by our resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews, who will help me out. So let's talk about the federal minimum wage. And as I said, our topic is that the federal, an increase in the federal minimum wage is both unnecessary and harmful. As we record today's podcast, Democrats in Congress are planning to move ahead with their plan to more than double the federal minimum wage from $7.25 an hour to $15 an hour. There's going to be a vote in the U.S. House that will likely succeed, and then the Senate will have to deal with it. So this is a good time for us to do an IPI Policy Basics podcast on the federal minimum wage. Let's talk first about sort of the concept, of the basic philosophy of a minimum wage. And there's probably only a small number of people who are interested in this, but I'm one of them, so let's do it. So a wage is the price of labor. It's the price at which you sell your labor to an employer or a willing buyer. If the price for your labor is too low, you might very well choose not to sell your labor at all. You might move to a different part of the country where the prices for your labor are higher, or you might go to school and get specific training so that you could sell your labor at a higher price. The price of your labor is related to the value you deliver to an employer, and that value has to do with skill, training, productivity, and other, any other unique aspects you might bring to the job. In the same way that you would probably not pay $15 for a pint of strawberries that was really worth $2, an employer probably wouldn't pay $15 an hour for labor that's only worth $4.50 an hour. And if he is forced to overpay for labor, that employer would have an incentive to find some way to avoid doing so, which might mean hiring fewer people, eliminating jobs, uh, moving toward automation, or something like that. A minimum wage is a price control. It's a price floor. Usually when we talk about price controls, we're talking about price caps, which limit how expensive something can be. But a minimum wage is a price floor. It sets a lower limit on how low a price can go. And any kind of price controls, as we've talked about before on these podcasts, represents government interfering in markets to distort outcomes. That's what price controls do. So we know we're going to get distortions, and we're going to get unintended consequences anytime government directly intervenes in the setting of prices. One of my pet ways to think about an economy is to think of it as an information processing system. We want the economy to tell us what the real value of things is because we want good information in order to make good decisions. Price controls distort the real value of things, and so price controls result in distorted outcomes and bad information. Now, I also want to touch on the history of the minimum wage because it's important as we get on to the practical effects of a minimum wage. And the history of the minimum wage is recognized to be, frankly, racist in nature. 
there's no dispute among economic historians that the first minimum wage laws in the U.S. were designed to protect so-called white jobs from black laborers in the railroad industry. And the first Canadian minimum wage law was designed to protect white jobs from Chinese laborers in Canada's lumber industry. In those days, at least, minority laborers were thought to be of less value and thus were willing to work for less. A minimum wage that was thought appropriate for white workers would exclude many minority workers. Now, of course, today the motivation for higher minimum wages is not at all racist in nature. But it's worth mentioning the history because it underscores the point that minimum wages exclude some lower-skilled or thought-less-desirable workers. And the history of the minimum wage is an illustration of that. Now, let's talk about more practical and current perspectives. Today, the federal minimum wage is $7.25 an hour. But 29 states have already passed higher state minimum wage laws. And this is something that's commonly overlooked. So the federal minimum wage really only affects 21 states today as it is. You know, Tom, in some of those cities uh, out there, they have passed their own minimum wage legislation that's perhaps higher than the state level uh, legislation. That's exactly right. And I think this is a really crucial point. And this is why we included the word unnecessary in the topic of this podcast, because there is nothing stopping any state from passing a higher minimum wage. There's nothing stopping any state from determining what that state thinks is an appropriate minimum wage for that geographical part of the country. So a federal minimum wage is utterly unnecessary. And as you mentioned, many cities have passed their own minimum wages that are $15 an hour, certainly higher than the, Fed, than the existing federal minimum wage or even the state minimum wage. And it's even counterproductive in that. Um, in that it, it, the, live, the cost of living in Alabama is a lot less than the cost of living in New York City. And I noticed today that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez a representative from New York City uh, said she, if they if they vote to lower the minimum wage level that they have in the House bill at fifteen dollars an hour, if they decide to go with ten or twelve or something of that nature, she would vote against it, against it because she feels like fifteen is the very minimum and it ought to actually be higher. But if you live in New York City, you can understand why that feels like fifteen dollars an hour feels like a. Uh, uh, like it's like it's not enough, but in some places, that's actually a pretty good wage. That's absolutely right. And in fact, we're going to talk a minute about just how disproportionate the effect of a federal minimum wage is for that for exactly that reason. But you know, you mentioned before that cities have set some of their own minimum wages, and I mentioned that twenty nine states have already set mm-hmm. a higher minimum wage. So there have been some calculations done. And when you actually wait, your calculations for these different state and city minimum wages, the average weighted minimum wage across the country today is actually $12.80. So that's important because you have this picture that there's this enormous number of workers out there making $7.20 an hour, 25 cents an hour, and trying to raise families on it. And that's just simply not what the data shows. In fact, let's talk about who actually earns the minimum wage. Uh, According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 60% of minimum wage workers are under age 24. So again, it's a distortion to think that most minimum wage earners are trying to support a family. The fact is, most of the time, a minimum wage earner is a student, someone living in a household with other earners, a second or third income in a household. 
So most minimum wage earners are not poor in the sense that they probably don't live in a household that's below the poverty level. They're students, they're second income earners, they generally work in small businesses. They are, for reasons of their age and demographics, on the lower rungs of the labor ladder. And if you force employers to overpay them for their level of skill, many of them will actually be deprived of economic opportunity. In fact, there's a really interesting study that shows that the last time the federal minimum wage was raised in 2009, that eliminated 200,000 jobs nationwide. Okay, Now, 200,000 jobs nationwide may not seem like a lot, but think about this. When they increased the federal minimum wage in 2009, they only raised it by 10%. Whereas what's being considered right now before Congress is a 101% increase in the federal minimum wage. And if, if a 10% increase eliminated 200,000 jobs, how much is a 101% increase going to eliminate? And this is a point we've tried to make for some time. Uh, it, when they talk about increasing the minimum wage, if you were to take the $7.25 and increase it to, say, $8 or something of mm-hmm. that nature— my guess is it, it has a fairly low impact because it's been a good while since the, the, uh, in, the minimum wage was raised. And so m- the vast majority of people are making much more than that now. Uh, so you, 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 if you increase the minimum wage just a little bit, you, do, you have less impact than if you double it. And now we're talking about more than doubling it, which is just, I don't think we've ever gone anything like that amount of an increase in the minimum wage. No, we haven't. Now, in fairness, the proposal that's, that, is, that is going to be put before the House phases it in over several years, right. right? But again, even that proves that they know it's harmful. I mean, the reason that they have to phase it in over, over a number of years is that they know it's going to have a harmful impact, and they they don't want the economy to suffer the harmful impact all in one dose. So they want to spread it out just to reduce their own political liability, I think, over several years. But it's an admission that raising the minimum wage has a harmful effect on the economy. Now, you you mentioned a few minutes ago this idea of disproportionate impact Mm -hmm. across the country. In Massachusetts, the average hourly wage, that's not the average minimum, that's the average hourly wage, is $32 an hour. But in Mississippi, the average hourly wage is $19 an hour. So a $15 federal minimum wage will be barely noticed by workers in Massachusetts, but it would be have quite a devastating impact on workers in Mississippi just because of the geographical difference in labor costs. And that's a very regressive impact. In fact, the more you sort of look at these numbers and these statistics, it's almost as if the increased federal minimum wage is like purposely designed and targeted at destroying economic opportunity for low-skilled workers in poorer states, because that is what will happen. And the impact is not just disproportionate between one state and another, it's also disproportionate between rural areas and urban areas, since wages tend to be higher in cities than they are in rural areas. Now, we've talked about the fact the federal minimum wage is unnecessary because the states and cities can already set their minimum wages. So it, it behooves me to mention as a constitutionalist and as a federalist that this is really an unnecessary and harmful federal intrusion into state policymaking. Imposing a federal minimum wage from the top down from the federal government is unnecessary, and it just doesn't make sense. Now, there's one other point that we should make. We're recording this podcast early in 2021 while the COVID-19 pandemic is still going on. 
there are certain industries, restaurants, bars, hotels, that have really been particularly devastated by the virus. And these just happen to be industries that tend to pay minimum wages. Mm -hmm. So we should ask, is this the right time as we're trying to restore jobs and recover from the pandemic to stipulate a policy from the federal level that will further harm these very same businesses and industries that we're trying to help? In fact, we're already spending taxpayer dollars to try to help them through the PPP program to try to keep the businesses afloat. But now we're going to impose upon them higher labor costs, higher than they can afford in many cases. And the PPP relief funds were calculated based on current labor costs, not on a doubling of the minimum wage, which dramatically increases their labor costs. And of course, you, you mentioned how those particular industries tend to pay, pay, pay lower wages. So a $15 an hour mandate would not harm uh, let's say Amazon, because they tend to pay $15 an hour. I think they've sort of mm -hmm. adopted that. Right. But then everybody above that level makes more. So what I would argue is it's not just the people who make minimum wage, but once the if, if I'm making $7.25 an hour, let's say I'm even making $8 or $9 an hour, and I'm now being bumped up to $15 an hour, then my manager who was making $15 an hour feels like he or she deserves more than $15 an hour because they're the manager. Exactly. So you, you actually increase the, uh, the, the cost to the business, not just on the, those people making minimum wage, but up the pay scale, unless it's just one place where you have a lot of people making close to minimum wage and managers making much, much higher, uh, you're going to have, you're going to force the pay scale up all the way. And that's, that creates a huge new cost, not just the minimum wage people. But I think you, you've also hit on, the reason that I suspect people are advocating for the higher federal minimum wage in the first place, because we've already talked about the fact that it's unnecessary. We've already talked about the fact that most people don't earn the minimum wage and most people who earn the minimum wage don't are not supporting families on it. So the question is, okay, so why, why is it such a big deal? And, and I think I suspect that the whole point of pushing for the higher minimum wage is the idea that it, because you're establishing a price floor for labor, the assumption is that it will raise salaries all up and down the economic ladder, right? It'll, it'll raise not just, not just the cost of minimum wage labor, but the cost of middle management labor and supervisors and everything like that. And so you're right, the, that represents a significant increase in the cost of businesses and the price that they will be required to pay for labor. And, of course, you mentioned this about the technology that people might begin to adopt or companies might begin to adopt. Uh, just so our listeners realize this, uh, say, for instance, Walmart has been struggling over the years. It's been it's gradually increased its minimum wage. Have you noticed that they often that they've uh, increasingly gone to kiosk in ways that you check out for yourself? That right. used to be a major, uh, major source of people who having low income. I mean, they're generally, I think, lower income, but working mm -hmm. in Walmart checkout, and now most of it is actually done yourself. Most of the time, when I when I interface with some retail establishment, it's the self check or it's a kiosk where you place your orders and that sort of a thing. And there's every reason to think that if the federal minimum wages increase and labor costs increase, all that's going to do is further this introduction of automation into businesses. And from the business's standpoint, that might be a good thing. But if you're actually trying to help the lowest earning workers, you're actually hurting them rather than helping them. And of course, we're just talking about wages. But remember, 
there is a, re- a requirement that uh, employers provide health insurance mm-hmm. out there. And because of that, it's in, and it was not just the uh, a sort of a minimum policy that some lower paying employers might have had. It's got to be Obamacare approved mm-hmm. generally. And so it's not just the $15 an hour. It's the Affordable Care Act on top of that. And they're trying to expand the Affordable Care Act, which would drive up the cost even more. So there's the seen cost that government's trying to impose in the minimum wage. But there's other costs that are going along with the full package of benefits that just makes it very, very expensive. Kind of tough for small businesses to recover from a pandemic when the government is doing everything it can do to raise labor costs. Yes. Okay. So in summary, the minimum wage includes significant trade-offs. If you're lucky enough to keep your minimum wage job, yes, you would be better off, but many will lose their jobs and may have their economic prospects scarred for life, having been deprived of their access to the bottom rung of the economic ladder. Raising the minimum wage does not make people more productive. It just makes them more expensive. And businesses will find ways to cover those higher costs somehow, either through eliminating jobs, holding off on plans to expand, or automating certain functions. The way you raise incomes is through real increases in productivity and economic growth. And that was happening at a very healthy pace in our economy before the COVID-19 pandemic, largely because of tax reform, deregulation, and technological innovation. And there's every reason to think that those trends will continue and recover unless government intervenes to screw things up. Well, thank you, Dr. Matthews, for helping me out today with this episode of the IPI Policy Basics podcast. You can find much more about prices and economic policy and economic growth at our website at IPI.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about letting other people know about it? And how about giving us a favorable review? on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you find these to be useful and we will see you next time.